Welcome to Discovering Spirit Within, and thank you for joining us today. I am Rev. Deborah Phillips, your host for this Spiritual Life Center podcast, which is dedicated to helping people discover and activate their personal relationship with the divine. Welcome, everyone. I'm here with my friend Carol Knight again, and we wanted to follow up on our conversation uh, last month uh, where we were talking about visualizing and... Uh, Carol had said that she had some stories she wanted to share, and I have some of my own stories of, especially when I first started working with visualization. And for those of you who are really interested in getting very deeply into uh, changing your life by revisualizing it, Dr. Joe Dispenza is one of the people who's teaching this in depth. There's a process called the Q process with uh, Gary Simmons and his wife, Jane Simmons. There's several different things that you can go look into that go into great detail on how this whole process really works. This podcast is about us having some fun and talking about some practical real life um, experiences. So welcome, Carol. Thank you. Happy to be here. So we were talking about Carol. Carol was telling me you were you were telling me that um, the stories that you have to tell you think they're a little bit mundane and, and not extraordinary. And then I was saying that we get so used to looking for the road to Damascus stories where someone's thrown to the ground and the light comes um, <laughs> that we miss the small things. And so I think today is a perfect day to talk about some of the small things. And I'll start out with 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 mine. Okay. So when I very forty uh, something, my gosh, years ago, long long time ago, um, I started working with uh, visualization a little differently than we do it today. We've evolved. We do it better. Um, but I was uh, needing money, and so I had a deposit with the utility company. And so I just started down and going, something comes to me in the mail from the utility company. And I just kept on affirming it and affirming it and affirming it with all my might. And I went to the post office and there it was, something from the utility company. It was my bill. <laughs> Which taught me something about being a little tiny bit more um, specific. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So um, that was like my first adventure in really trying to get that stuff to work. And it did. <laughs> and yes, well, that bill would have come anyway, but um, it was it was a real lesson for me. It's like I just kept saying something. <laughs> and I'm glad. So I don't want to drag us down too much of a rabbit trail here, which is kind of a specialty of mine. But actually, it's a specialty um, of this podcast. So don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm glad that you mentioned um, specificity um, because I think of all the different uh, teachers of this practice that I have read over the years. And some of them um, are, are much, you know, are older teachers like um, the Fillmores and, and that crowd and Neville Goddard, who I've just recently discovered and, and actually really do like because he's uh, such a beautiful writer. But uh, when I contrast the way that this uh, spiritual practice is offered from the days of yore to some of the more modern teachers, Joe Dispenza, um, Mike Dooley, uh, 
you know, some of whom I like, some of whom I don't, that one of the things that I really notice, and you and I have talked about this a little bit in private conversation, is among the older teachers, there is a, a, at least from my readings and my understandings of what I'm reading, there's a lot of emphasis put on being specific, certainly with Neville Goddard. He, he offers these, this practice where as you're drifting off to sleep, you begin to imagine what it is you want to come to pass. And he, he really encourages you to go into very, very specific um, detail with the more modern teachers. And I, I'm probably thinking more of uh, Mike Dooley here, who, you know, no offense to Mike Dooley, he's not one of my favorites. Um, it's more about working uh, from the end, what you want from of your outcome and being quite general. Uh, so if you, if you wanted uh, a whole bunch of money to buy a wonderful house, you might just, your affirmations and visualizations might just be of uh, being happy, secure, and content without ever mentioning the word money or house. And I I just find it interesting. Uh, I, I used to find it conflicting. I don't anymore. I think probably uh, what you and I have talked about is, is, you know, the differences of when these earlier, early pioneer teachers were writing was a long time ago, uh, very different from the times that we're in now and, and everything evolves. And I sometimes wonder if, um, because as human beings, we're all so different and so unique, maybe the way one person visualizes wouldn't work for another. It doesn't make sense to me that it, uh, there would be a one size um, fits all. And and so I sort of got off on, on that little tangent because I, I was thinking about the, you know, you know me, I'm, I always want big and grand and, you know, I'm a Southern girl and we put a lot of stock in signs and portents and omens and we want the thunder to roll and the <laughs> earth to shake. Um, and using Joe Dispenza, um, one of his books, one of his earlier books, uh, it came with a, a DVD for about a month, I read the book first, which was very hard for me because it's heavy on science and I'm kind of a, of a lazy intellect, intellectual. Um, but I faithfully used the DVDs and did the meditations for about a month, I would say, somewhere right around 30 days. And you will remember this, Deborah, because you were around for it. Um, I was able to manifest um, a home. I, I needed to move really desperately. The place I'd been living um, wasn't working out anymore. I'd been there a long time and I had a lot of angst about having to leave. And I, in my meditations, um, laid out what I wanted that house to look like and uh what I wanted the rent to be. That was what was really important to me because it was at a time of great financial constraint and I was living in California. So I wanted cheap rent. 
rent that would be impossible to get in California, especially in the area where I was living. And after, I don't know, within two or three days of working every day with that DVD meditation, I went to Facebook uh, and put in one sentence that said, if anybody uh, knows of a reasonably priced small home or mother-in-law cottage, I'm looking to move. And I, I think it was even that same day, I heard from an acquaintance, someone that I saw very infrequently and hadn't been in touch with for well over a year at that point. And uh, she had the little house that I had pictured for the exact dollar amount of rent um, that I had uh, kind of put into my little dream state. Now, I'm like you with the details. The one thing that I didn't attend to was the neighborhood. So it was kind of, it was a great house for rock bottom rent, but in a slightly sketchy neighborhood. But nonetheless, I remember being pretty, pretty astounded by that, especially um, because the there was nowhere in California that was offering the rent that I had proposed. And it was exactly that amount. So, you know, I have to, I'm a hard person to convince, even, even with that and the few other moments that I've had using this practice where it's clear something has shifted. I, I'm still, you know, I sometimes think I must have been uh, the, the doubting Thomas disciple in a previous life because it, it takes a <laughs> lot for me to go, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. It, you know, I just kind of throw that out there. But I, I don't know if, if we might pick around for just a moment. Um, in the 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 incredibly wide variance of advice and um, teachings in utilizing this practice, some say specific, some say Mike Dooley calls it the cursed house. He says just don't even don't meddle around in the cursed house. That's what the universe is going to take care of. You don't have to attend to the details. You see your ultimate outcome and see yourself happy and jumping up and down and pumping your fist in the air and the universe will take care of the rest. And then I read, dear, lovely Neville Goddard, who wants you to imagine so many details that by the time you're through, <laughs> your brain is about to explode. So I, I wonder, I don't know that we've ever talked about this too much. No. We may have. But I wonder what your thoughts are. Yeah, and we really, we really haven't. Um, there's a couple of things. First of all, uh, one size does not fit all. And there are people who are extremely detail oriented. And so they have to work that way. And then there are those of us who are like, um, whatever. <laughs> and I, I, I would, but I would say that what you were doing with this house is you were visualizing, you were visualizing what you wanted your outcome to be. You wanted a certain rent, you wanted a certain kind of house. So you were you were actually looking at the detail at the at the outcome, and you really were not in any in your story. Not once did you talk about the how, you just visualized having what you wanted. Mm. So, True enough. Right. Okay. So you were actually doing doing that, and um, there's a, a, a Dr. Larry Dossie has written four or five or six or God knows how many books on. on he's done a lot of. Uh, deep research, scientific research into prayer. 
And what they've come up with when they're talking about prayer is that he says the more general it is, the better it works. Now, that if you're just praying for someone's highest good, that's actually probably the highest thing you can do because you're, I don't have any right to tell you what your highest good is. And I have a story about you that I've never told you. Ah. So uh, when you were going through (laughs) some really severe financial issues, you called me one day and one of your animals was sick. And you kept, you know, you were really, it was kind of the evening and the animal was really sick and uh, we talked about it and I, you know, and we did some uh, prayer work and healing work around it. And I felt absolutely sure that that animal was going to be fine till morning because you were not wanting to incur an emergency room expense. And so after you got off, we got off the phone, I did a very deep healing prayer you know, that for the highest good of everybody involved in this situation, you, the animal, everything. And I felt absolutely at peace. Everything was fine. And the next morning you called me and you told me that you had still gotten up and gone to the emergency room in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And my first reaction, and I didn't say anything to you because it really is none of my business, but I went, wait a minute, what the? And then I stopped in mid-think, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> because it was like, what did I do? I prayed for everybody's highest good. Your highest good was to take that animal in and be reassured that it was okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I got slammed. Thank you very much uh, for giving me this <laughs> lesson. Um, and I didn't even get very far in my what the, what was she doing? It was like I started the thought and went, wait a minute, what did you pray for? I prayed for your highest good and the animal's highest good. Your highest good at that moment, because of the anxiety you had, was to go be reassured. Yeah. And so yeah. I got what I prayed for whether I quote, thought it was the best idea is none. Of, and it's none of my business. Right? I mean, it was well, that's, it, it well, put that's me, a it, hard one to get, but it put me so much in my place. It's like, it's your life, it's your animal. All I was doing was praying for you. And, yeah. I, and, and, yeah. and highest and, and we don't, so the thing is, is what, what, the, what comes out as possibly our highest good is not necessarily what we think it is, or what we think we want. And so, you know, there's that. And I don't know why that statement you just made, that factual statement, will sometimes undermine my my faith in this process. I, I haven't kicked around at that enough or delved into it to really be able to um, connect any dots. But I, I, I guess I just... Uh, about um, just that the highest good oh. may not be what we envision. That That's <laughs> a hard one. <laughs> I, I suppose it just comes down to being a human being and wanting to be in control. And I don't know what other people do. I know that I tend to rely much more heavily on this practice and, and all of my spiritual practices um, in times of difficulty, and that is something I really want to change in, in these these golden years of my life to, to make uh, the practice, any spiritual practice, just so second nature that it's there and in place and observed, no matter my perception of, of the state of uh, reality at any given moment. But um, you know, I, I suppose sometimes I, it, it's more about 
my wanting to be in control rather than my wanting to realize my highest good. Sometimes they're different. You know, sometimes what I think is my highest good um, turns out not to be. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the teaching of all of these people, all of the one through the last hundred and something years, is that, you know, there's something for us that we can't even imagine our highest good, honestly. We don't know what's, what's the best for us. And, you know, there's that country yes. western song is thank God for unanswered prayers. Because just because we think we want something or we think we want it a certain way, you know, it, uh, right. yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah. Well, and back to um, the, the, the mundane uh, versus, um, what shall we call it, the extraordinary. And I suppose any time that you can use your imagination and your thinking process to um, adjust your reality. It, it's all extraordinary, but it, it often um, doesn't feel that way. And I'm, I'm going to just relate something um, that happened to me. And I think we may have talked about this really briefly uh, a couple of podcasts ago. Um, it didn't seem particularly extraordinary to me at the time, but now that I'm getting ready to form the words, it, it, it will feel more. Um, and that is, um, uh, I don't really, not really a rift. I had a, a, a separation from a friend of mine who was very important to me um, when I moved. Um, as you know, I, I recently moved within the last year um, across the country. And the person um, was a little distressed because I had moved and the way that I had moved it, it unfortunately, my, my plans had been in place for months, but the week that I was really seriously starting to get ready to move was when the pandemic became a serious issue and uh, the state I was living in was was completely locked down. Um, and so I uh, it wasn't my perception that this was how things went and it still is not. But this person felt abandoned in that that I um, just sort of uh, fled like a thief in the night, I believe, were were the words they used. And that was really hard for me and there was a, about six months where we weren't in touch much and this has been someone that was that was and is important to me uh, someone I'd had many many deep conversations with and shared a lot of really personal stuff with so it was a loss and I certainly experienced um, that that breakdown in communication as a loss and I wasn't sure what to do. And I did what I typically do, which is just ruminate and stew and fret and fuss and act out all sorts of really negative imaginary scenarios, which, as you know, I'm super good at. It's too bad I don't want a life <laughs> full of calamity because I can sure dream that up. Yeah. But there came a day and, and I had um, been listening to Neville Goddard. 
And he talked about uh, the book was being his, I don't even remember what book it was now, but it was being read by this lovely woman um, who was also uh, a big fan of, I won't get her name right, is it Scoville, Francis Scoville? Yes, yes, yeah. Um, So she kind of went from reading Goddard to reading this woman who has some really beautiful affirmations. And one of them ran something along the lines of, I now um, offer upon the altar of the Christ within, fill in the blank, uh, knowing now that I am free to live a joyous, happy life. And I was out walking my dogs the morning after I, I was listening to a book on um, an audio book and I addressed that situation um, and, you know, said, I, I offer upon the altar of the Christ within um, this, this breakdown in my friendship. And, and that was all, I mean, that was about as general as it could be. I said, and now um, with this, uh, burden cast upon the altar of the Christ within, I am free to go and live a joyous, happy life. And less than a week later, I wish I could remember the exact days, but I know that it was less than a week later, I heard from this person and it opened up an opportunity for us to have a much needed um, conversation about the about everything, about all of the the ways that we both felt, and our friendship is now back on track. And so uh, I feel a little silly to say that 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 is not extraordinary, because it is uh, quite extraordinary. Um, And I, I find that I can seem to affect um, my relationships, you know, I just just had an, an, an incident with a friend a couple days ago, and it, it was a little difficult, and I was sitting in my room and feeling kind of bad about it all and not certain what to do, and I pretty much did the same thing. Uh, it was a little more, I, I actually called it a Deborah-flavored meditation. I, uh, <laughs> I sat down and put myself in an imaginary setting, a really beautiful setting, completely different than where I was, which is also beautiful. But anyway, um, I spoke out loud, which I also generally never do. I I think it's almost for me always um, a mental process. And I spoke out loud, but very um, concisely and clearly and simplistically um, what I wanted, which was an opportunity to be able to have a harmonious conversation about this thing that, that had happened. And within just a few minutes, um, this, the, the person reached out to me and, and again, we, I won't say it's completely resolved, but it's a heck of a lot more resolved than it was. And my heart feels light again. So, um, I, I'm not sure why I don't uh, celebrate these kinds of occurrences a little bit more, but I don't well, because I think I'd rather visualize winning the Powerball sweepstakes or, <laughs> you know, winning the Pulitzer Prize for literature. You know, it's these these big things when, in fact, uh, being able to heal 
important relationships is about as big as it gets. But, you know, we live in a culture that uh, is, is bigger than life. And, and we're, um, you know, we are so bombarded with information so much that unless it's kind of big and out, outsized, I don't think we notice it as much. Um, you know, here in the United States, I mean, I haven't traveled very much, so I don't know what it's like elsewhere. But I know for us, it's like it, everything's got to be bigger and better here. And yeah. so we, we, miss the, we miss the little things. I mean, my husband, one of the, the big things for me right now is very small. And is my husband is, um, he's almost a Luddite. I mean, he uses his computer, but uh, he hasn't had a cell phone for years and years and years and years. And a few weeks ago, I decided, and I, I'm not sure why it was. I mean, it was like, you know, you really need to have a cell phone. And if we had a cell phone, then we could get rid of this landline that you're not happy with and blah, blah, blah. And he said, okay. And um, so I, he said, well, why don't you get a new phone and give me yours? Oh, darn. Right. So um, I went down and, and, uh, and I really, honestly, I, I live in my iPad, so I was, but whatever. Anyway, so I go down and I get all of this changed and I brought it home and, and I have a picture I took of him sitting there with this look on his face with the phone sitting there. It was like, really, you're going to make me use this. And not a week later, he slipped in the garage and um, hit his head and broke a vertebrae in his back. And he is currently, and he's okay, everybody, but he, um, he's in this uh, uh, nursing home rehab place right now. And those places have one phone per ward. So because wow. he has a cell phone, we can talk several times a day. He can call his friends. Um, so somehow or another... It was yeah. necessary that Jim have a cell phone. I listened, and somehow even he did, and agreed to it. <laughs> and I still haven't gotten rid of the landline, by the way, because I don't want to. But, you know, he, what, there's several other things that happened because I kind of felt something like this was going to come along. But he has that cell phone, and it has been amazing that he's got it. And he can send me texts and he can, so that's, that is what you would call a very small, low key thing, but it, it is huge in terms of, because I can't go see him. Well, yeah, it's and very so, huge. It's you know, I can call him whenever I want. He can call me whenever he wants. He's, it's forcing him to, um, learn how to use the phone. I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to stop for a moment here and, uh, Lizzie. I have a cat who's going to attack another cat. Okay, that is, uh, okay, we'll have to cut that part out. So Jim having um, that cell phone is uh, just one of the very best things, the very highest good for us. And I, I have no idea, I couldn't tell you what got me on that. But it was just, it's well, time, he's got to have one. Yeah, and yeah. it's... That, that's quite remarkable, really. And so, of course, when I hear you tell a story like that, uh, it feels much more remarkable than <laughs> if, if, if I were telling a story like that. But, well, and part um, of that is that, you know, we don't, uh, my life isn't remarkable to me. Your life isn't remarkable to you. And uh, I notice these things partly because I teach this stuff and partly because I've been doing this for so long. Um, 
And it was such a relief to know that, you know, I, he, uh, I took the cell phone down to him and he immediately was like, oh, thank you. And so we've gotten way off of the whole specificity thing, which is what I can't even say the word. You say it much better than I do. But, um, you know, when, when the Fillmore's and, and, uh, Ernest Holmes and, and Emma Curtis Hopkins back in the late 1800s and, uh, you know, and early 1900s, they were breaking brand new ground. Yes. This teaching has been around for thousands of years, but bringing it into uh, the American culture in particular, and it was also coming up in other places is they were breaking brand new ground. People had never heard of this. They were starting to talk about being individual expressions of God, where the the thinking was very much of, of collective. So they were breaking mm-hmm. absolutely brand new, brand new ground. So the vocabulary they use is very, partly the way they wrote, but partly you must do this, you have to do this. There was a lot of, mm-hmm. it was very rigid. And then as consciousness has expanded, uh, they were talking to people who had never heard of this. Now we're talking to people who have heard a lo- about a lot of this. They're getting it through pop culture. They're getting a very watered down version of it. And so we can talk about it in, in a lot of different ways now. And, uh, you yeah. know, and now, now we've got the scientific way with, with uh, Dispenza and all those people. And somehow I'm hoping we come back to the middle where we've got the woo-woo mystical and the, sci- and the woo-woo science, because it's woo-woo science. Uh, quantum mm-hmm. physics is about as woo-woo as it gets. And how do we visualize what we want? I mean, we have to know what our intention is. I think we wanted to really whittle it down is what is our intention and what are we trying to accomplish? Where do we want to get to? You needed, you needed an affordable house and you know, it wasn't the greatest neighborhood, but you know, it also, they didn't have cars burning in the street either. I mean, it was, you know, it it was okay. And, um, so, and that was probably what you were going to have considering the price of housing in, in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and it was an ideal situation for you for the two years that you were there or yeah. however long, you Three. know? Yeah. And so when we, we decide that we want something, I mean, we, I, I feel like I am way past the days of doing a treasure map where I do a whole visual cutting things out of magazines, pasting them on a board for my, my Porsche or my fancy house. <laughs> Um, you know, one of the things, and, and there, uh, we've left out Catherine Ponder, who became the prosperity queen. Uh, yeah. You know, and it was like, you know, you sure pray for that car, but you better ask for the money to go with it to maintain it. And yeah. so when you were looking at my, the very best, say the very best car for me, the very best house for me, um, I always include and the means to support it. So it's like the highest good overall. Um, and if you're getting really specific, you might leave out one of those things. Catherine Ponder. Well, I, think I don't, yeah, I don't know how you could not leave. I mean, because we cannot foresee all ends and, right. um, you know, th- these days I, I think it does make a little more sense to me, um, to work from a more generalized viewpoint but on on just one little quick thing uh about specificity and i think i may have told you this um six weeks or so ago um i had to replace the battery in my car and my friend replaced it for me we went and bought one and and he put it in for me and uh, neither of us are car mechanics and 
in putting the battery in, we lost the little bolt that that anchors the battery in its housing. And because I'm who I am, I drove around for several weeks with it sort of slipping and sliding. And uh, I thought, you know, this, this, I really probably need to get my, my battery bolted down. And uh, again, I had just been listening to uh, someone reading, um, I think it was the law and the promise, Neville Goddard. And he was just relating story after story, after story, after story about, um, these people with their very, very specific visualizations. And so it almost kind of irritated me, which galvanized me. And I thought, okay, fine. <laughs> and as I was going to sleep that night, I had an appointment. Uh, it was actually just before New Year's. That's when that's when this happened. Um, I was dropping the car off the next day. So I thought, I, I visualized in my mind, I had... I had no idea what the place I was taking the car to looked like. I didn't know anything about it except that it was a mile from where I live and I'm all about convenience. So I, I saw myself very clearly uh, pulling up to this auto business that was, I don't know why I saw this, but it was a little bit um, shabby maybe the parking lot was just swimming in cars. And when I went inside, it was extremely no frills and an older man, uh, in my imagination, uh, greeted me very, um, reservedly, um, and, told me to have a seat. He'd look at my car and see if he had anything around the shop that he could use. And so I, I see myself sitting down with my, probably my phone or a book and I wait. And just a few minutes later, this man comes back in and he says to me, it's done. And I get up to follow him back to pay him and, and he won't accept any money from me. And I fell asleep and I woke up really early the next morning and I started looking for Ziegler's Automotive. And it was indeed um, a less than elegant dwelling, <laughs> shall we say. No frills. The parking, lot, the parking lot was, yeah, no frills. The parking lot was absolutely so full of cars. And I, I didn't think I was going to be able, I kind of wedged my car into a place that wasn't even really a legal parking space. I walked inside, and if ever there was a no-frills establishment, this was it. It There was nothing on the walls. It was dirty. It reeked of cat box, and there's nobody around. It's quiet as the grave, so I walk down the hall, and I see a tiny little sign, a hand-lettered sign that says office with an arrow pointing off to the left. So I turn the corner. And here comes this elderly man, probably a man in his 70s, who I imagine was the owner. Um, talk about a man, a few words. I said, I talked to you on the phone yesterday. I, I need my battery bolted down. He nods his head at me, uh, sticks his hand out, which is my signal to give him my car key. And he says, points out to the lobby, 
um, I'll be back in a few minutes to let you know if I can fix it. And he goes out and maybe 15 minutes or so go by and he comes back in and he says, it's done. And he hands me my car keys and he starts walking back to the office and I'm going behind him. And he turned around and kind of raised an eyebrow at me like, what are you doing? And I said, I, I need to pay you. And he said, no charge. And I just thought, well, heck, if I can do that, <laughs> why? Can't? Because, you know, there, there are, um, you know, I would love to be able to manifest a, a really strong um, physical healing. And, and um, I, I won't go into a lot of personal detail here, but there are a couple things that, that I would really, really love to change. And they feel, I don't know if, I don't know if in the universe things are graded as small, medium, and large, certainly in my head, they are. And so they feel very large to me um, and somewhat unattainable as well. Um, I don't know if, that uh, sort of preconceived thinking about them in any way hinders um, the work that I do. Um, I don't know much of anything, really. Um, <laughs> but I, I would. We, we were laughing with one another before we we started the podcast about how we all want these damascus road experiences and i i'm guilty as charged i i really do i'm not sure even then that would be enough but (laughs) (laughs) but you know we we um yeah i mean it's uh sometimes that's what it takes to get our attention but you know um myrtle fillmore one of the co-founders of the unity um movement I had to excuse me had had tuberculosis and um, this was uh, in the late 1890s and or 1800s and um, you know the other women in her family had died from TB and she just sort of thought she would too and she went and heard a lecture because that's what people did back then and she she walked out and somehow really embodied the idea that God was in within her and she said well if God's within me then I can't be sick now she she did uh, heal from tuberculosis. It did take two years. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think we have to remember that some of these things, like when we're when we're dealing with he- healing with relationships and things, we're dealing with um, uh, the energies. And yes, we're dealing with energies in the body, but we're also just dealing with the energies between us. The body has is dense. And it takes a lot longer uh, uh, sometimes. I mean, yes, there are miraculous instantaneous healings. Those do happen. Mm-hmm. For the most of us, though, they're gradual. And um, sometimes I think we almost need that gradual because we, we learn stuff along the way. Uh, whether we want to or not is a whole other question, <laughs> again. But, you know, it's a process. And... Um, we don't, we, uh, processes are time consuming and processes, uh, indicate that maybe there's never going to be a, a, a final, uh, ending to this thing. And we don't like that. We want, no. we want instant gratification. We want it now. We want it fixed. And, yeah. um, you know, so, um, it's, it's learning to look for the small improvements when it, when it's health, it's like, what's better now? Um, how, how was I a year ago? How was I six months ago? 
and and still seeing yourself as I, I think it's just to, to develop a practice of trying to look of learning to look beyond the the immediate symptoms to seeing yourself as as whole well and, that's yeah and yeah. that's 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 the task. Yeah, and um, and uh, there was a thing that I was writing the other day that it was it was talking about. Um, if you think of yourself as being restored versus being healed, because in my head, if I'm saying something needs to be healed, my brain is saying something's wrong. Exactly. If I'm saying something is restored now, where I go to in my head is that. Um, I think of a car that's restored. All I see in that car is that it's restored. I don't think about what the car was before it was restored. And so using the word restored for me is much more useful because I can say something is restored now and I can believe that. If I say something's healed right now, my brain is saying, well, what was wrong? Does that make any sense at all? It it does. And my question, uh, the question I'd like to pose is, Uh, In your mind, and I've read varying um, opinions about this as well, um, from the same writers and teachers that I've already spoken about, um, how much does believability factor into this? Because as I say, I am a very doubtful person a lot of the time. And that's always been sort of alarming to me because I think, well, shoot, if it takes believability, I'm doomed. Well, think, think, um, think, about, think about how little you believe in some of the most miraculous things that have happened with you. Um, you know, they will, uh, the Larry Dossie material, you might want to check that out, talks about how you can pray for someone and they don't believe in God or anything else and still they'll get better. Um, it is, it yeah. is really, um, and, and yet you will find the early writers talking about, you've got to believe it. And so, exactly. yeah. And, and so every writer out there has had a good message for us. And, and, and I, I, I guess I would say that, you know, we, we read it, we listen to people, but then ultimately we have to come back to finding out what's, what's real for us in our own hearts. And on some level, you believe this stuff. You've told me that you want to believe it. Um, but, um, you know, you don't have to believe deeply in, in God or deeply in Jesus or deeply in um, Buddha for, for these things to happen. If you are simply going with the flow and you are, are imagining and visualizing and setting your intent for what it is that you really want in your life, that's going to come along. It may not come along as fast as you want. It may not come along in exactly the same way that you want, but you know, it's like your dog got well. I, I in just absolutely knew that that dog was going to get well, but you had to have someone else who knew, who looked at the animal and said, and reassure you, you needed that. You needed that reassurance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, far be it from me to, to deny you that experience. And it's like, it's none of ultimately that's not any of my business, but, um, for me over the years that I have, have studied this and used it and whatever, I believe in it because I've experienced it. And I, I think that's what really actually starts to happen is the more you use these techniques, um, the more little, and, and, and it builds up, right? More, more little events that you have, then you start to build a belief in it. And And that is something that um, 
I miss I misspoke her name. It's Florence Florence Scoville something or other. She talked about that uh, a bit in one of her early writings. Um, that it if you are filled with doubt uh, and the situation you want to change in your life, or because I think that's probably what most of us are using this practice for is probably something in our own lives or even someone else's, you know, she said it, it, if there's a lot of doubt present, then it's better to begin this practice by choosing something that is small and that uh, is attainable. And I, she didn't say this because I think she was writing in the uh, the twenties and the thirties, um, but it to me it it I sort of made a little analogy in my head that it's like uh, the person who goes to the gym wanting to have who wants to be a bodybuilder, and they go in and they're the you know they they're sort of a regular human being and they're they're not very uh, filled out, but they go and they do this simple thing day after day after day after day and the it's the just the mere repetition um produces some some fairly astounding results and i thought well you know if uh physical muscle spiritual muscle i wonder if it all works the same it's interesting. and i i'm starting to think that it does well, it's interesting that you tell use you know, that particular analogy because I was just getting ready to say it's like building a muscle. I was going to say that exact thing. <laughs> <laughs> because um, well, you, you know, know we, it, we have to de- yeah. we have to develop it. We have to develop our our, our you know. Uh, yeah. we're, first of all, we're changing the way we're thinking about something. And so we have to work with that. And so there, there's, right. there's that process. And then just building up the strength. And, and you're saying that you would love to be able to walk through life with this just stuff automatically working. And when you get that down, let me know because I want it. But, you know, the more we do it, the more, the more it works in our lives. And, and unfortunately for those of us who like, you know, fireworks and rainbows and unicorns, um, the more subtle it'll be. Because yeah, the, the more we work with it, the more subtle it will be. Yeah, yeah. We have an enormous amount um, of people in this neighborhood. I live in a neighborhood of uh, young professionals. Okay, using the, okay. Uh, who are all working at home. Okay, um, so what you were saying was, uh, oh, you were talking about liking the the big splashy stuff. Yeah, I I really do like the big splashy stuff, and you know, again. I don't know what other people do. Um, for for myself, I didn't even really know very much at all about this practice, um, and 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 in a deep way until we met. What close to twenty years ago now, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. Before then, I had read a book, and I'm always hesitant to call out author's name because this is a public forum, so. Uh, I, I won't, but it was a very uh, new agey book, and I've always struggled with anything I consider to be new agey. And and I remember 
it was probably one of the first really um, popular um, best-selling books on uh, creative visualization. And this person started out, uh, her opening paragraph was um, all about sitting in the living room of her um, beautiful condominium in Mill Valley overlooking the bay and a Porsche. Funny that you mentioned a Porsche earlier in her garage. And, um, you know, it, it was all about this incredibly amazing material life that she was experiencing. And, you know, no, no problems there. Sing on sister. But I, I was immediately turned off because she went, then she went on to say that she had, uh, she used a term called click that when you come on an affirmation or um, a, a way of thinking that's going to manifest for you, you will feel a click. And so she had clicked all this stuff into view. And this was actually at a time in my own life when I was extremely comfortable living in a really beautiful rural community and, uh, in the East Bay of California in a, in a wonderful house and, you know, with the pool and the whole, the whole big deal. So, uh, it, it wasn't like I was reading this and reacting out of, um, envy or jealousy, which I have done, uh, at other times in my life, but it, I remember it just felt so, uh, superficial and and so I really shied away from the teachings for a long long time and you know then life takes you on this interesting journey that that it takes you on and and we met and that was when um I started to to really try to work with this and you better than anyone uh know the struggle I had and still continue to have I, I come from the deep South raised in a very conservative Southern Baptist church that believed in um, a doctrine of predestination. You're born and there's a path laid before your feet and there's not a damn thing you can do about it. You, you walk it, you, you know, you keep your head down. And if God's going to beat you into ribbons, then that's just the way it has to be. So for me, it was very hard leap to go from that um, to believing that, that I could help to create my own reality. I, I still, I struggle yeah. with it almost every day. And, and, and Less, so that, I mean, yeah, I mean, and that's, that's the whole point is that uh, more than anything in this work, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know what, it's pretty easy to start manifesting the, the, the physical stuff, the material stuff that, uh, because it's just an easier thing to do. But when you start to really want to change your mind, change your thinking, change the way you see the world, change the way that you, um, be in the world, that's, that takes a lot of work. I have said more than one time that this teaching, this metaphysical teaching that comes out of unity and religious science and a lot of independent metaphysical churches is the very hardest kind of thing you can do because we don't tell you what to do. We don't tell you what to believe. What we ask is take responsibility for your own life and for your own thoughts. That is the hardest thing to do. It's a lot easier to just tell people what to do. 
and yes. we'll do that. That's that's not what the yeah. teaching is about. And so, um, you know, I, I think that this whole conversation about the small miracles, the small victories, um, the small victories are every time you get a notch in one, you know, you're, you're building that muscle. It's like, um, you and I both used to work at curves and people would come in and they'd do a 30 minute workout, but some, you know, they'd come in three or three or five times a week. And it was amazing to see the difference in someone who came in three times a week, worked 30 minutes and left. And, and there was a huge progress for them. And mm-hmm. so it's really about being consistent. And I think recognizing the small, um, events, for what they are and being grateful for them and learning from them. It's, it's yeah. like, you know, um, the miracle is maybe not so much that my husband got a cell phone. The miracle is that I listened. <laughs> that, you know, I have another uh, yeah, story that, 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 I, that I can drag on. And I, I think we're getting towards the end of this conversation. But, you know, I had a, a time when I didn't have a lot of money and I was late on registering my car. And I, I, hadn't, gotten the, I hadn't gotten the form. And I knew if I went and stood in line, they would forgive that extra $100. And I stood in line and stood in line and stood in line. And we all know what the outcome was, right? Is I got up there and they forgive it. But I was on my lunch hour and I stood in line and then I'd come to a little kiosk that said, just put your check in here. And then I'd come to another kiosk and in line and it was just, you can just put your check right in here. And I was tempted to at least twice to just pay the whole thing. And mm-hmm. the miracle of it wasn't that they forgave the extra fine. It was that I listened and I stood in line and that hundred dollars meant a very lot to me at that point in my life. And so yeah. um, it's the, I think uh, the paying attention, the having a respect for our small, and they're not small victories. We call them small victories, but they're not. Every victory is a victory and accepting yes. them as a, as a victory, as a win, as a, I did it which means you can do it again and then you can do it right. again and then you can do it again. So, yeah. you know, um, well put. yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Carol, for being with me today. This has been an interesting conversation and we'll just have to continue this. Sounds good. It's been great to be here and with everybody blessings to everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. Discovering Spirit Within is produced by Spiritual Life Center. If you enjoyed our discussion and feel inspired to support us, you can go to slcworld.org forward slash donate. And now until we meet again, deep peace of the running wave to you, deep peace of the flowing air to you, deep peace of the quiet earth to you, deep peace of the shining stars to you, deep peace of the son and daughter of peace to you, and may the joys of the world go with you.